0: Oh, you're already seated. I was going to say you all can be seated. Uh, At this time, if there are children who'd like to go take part in our children's ministry, you can be dismissed right out the back. Miss Rachel will guide you guys out to where you need to be. And I'm excited that we are able to provide that for them. Go ahead and open your Bible or whatever device you look up scripture on to the book of Hebrews. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. The book of Hebrews. I mentioned earlier that I had the opportunity to go to a conference this week. Um, I am really, really thankful for a church that allows me to get away and do things like that. I do it a few times during the year. This was uh, the big one, uh, kind of the granddaddy of them all. This was together for the gospel, uh, which happens every two years, and this was the last one that they're doing. They're not going to be doing these anymore, but... um, I I have a video, I'm I'm happy to show you guys uh, later, you know, individually, but I have videos of um, what it sounds like to have about 12,000 pastors, uh, and some friends, and some pastors' wives, but mostly mostly just a, a bunch of men in a room together singing songs like It Is Well With My Soul, and then the piano drops out, and it's just all these voices of pastors, and... Uh, pastoral ministry can be kind of a lonely place a lot of times and so it was really good to gather with f- friends and I saw friends that uh, you know people I went to college with and stuff like that so it was really 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 good time heard some fantastic preaching and, uh, and I brought some more books away to get books back to give away which you'll be seeing appear out on the book giveaway table so if you haven't taken any books um, I put books out there on that table specifically for you to help you grow in your faith and I try to pick shorter books Um, Because I know a lot of people don't either don't read a lot or don't have a lot of extra time. So I try to put shorter books out there to help you grow in your faith. So please avail yourself of those. I've got more. I've replaced one stack that we ran out of. um, And I've got others that will be appearing out there. So make sure and and avail yourself of that. Um, This morning we're beginning a series of messages that is going to last the remainder of the calendar year. Uh, we're going to be marching through this fantastic book of Hebrews, uh, which is, is a deep book. It's deeply theological. Um, and so the question is, why Hebrews? Why did I pick Hebrews? Well, I've been working on a pattern as I preach where I try to go preach through a New Testament book and then an Old Testament book to give you all um, a good understanding of the whole counsel of God. But as I approached where we would go after we finished Philippians, which was the last full book we finished, As I approached where to go after that, I decided to stay in the New Testament, um, but go to Hebrews because in some ways, in many ways, I feel like Hebrews is kind of a commentary on the Old Testament and it gets us back into the Old Testament a lot. It contains many arrows that point to the Old Testament and help us connect the Old Covenant with the New Covenant and understand more of this Jesus who the author wants us to follow. Now, today's message is a lot of introductory material and Lord willing will act as sort of a a kickstart. You know, like when you first put your foot on the kickstart of a motorcycle, kind of kickstart us into a deep dive into the endless treasures that are available to us in God's word, specifically in this book of Hebrews. What I want to do now is just bow and pray and ask the Lord to help us. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to this time of proclaiming your word i pray that the message of your word would um, be understandable to our hearts that we would see with with fresh eyes with spiritual eyes that you would help us to understand god that you would help us not just to see the meaning but also to see what we're supposed to do with it how our lives are supposed to change in relation to it i pray you'd help my words and my communication be clear uh god I, i pray that you would um just be big here, Jesus. If there's anything that's just to me, clear it out. I pray that you would speak um, as you've spoken through your word. Uh, I pray that you would change hearts, uh, that you would increase and that I would decrease, Jesus. This is about you. It's for you. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. Let my whole life be about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's begin by reading the first four verses, just verses one through four of After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there are some things about the book of Hebrews that can seem a little enigmatic. One of the enigmatic things about Hebrews is, is that we actually do not know who wrote this. We don't know exactly who wrote it. We know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that it's part of the Word of God, the canon of Scripture. But we don't know who the human author was. Now, scholars have narrowed it down to a list of names. Now, many folks have settled on Paul as the author, but there are some characteristics that don't match with his other epistles, namely the absence of him naming himself as he does in other writings, uh, as well as the use of a higher form of Greek, because this was not originally written in English. Okay, And so the Greek that it was originally written in was a, like a higher form, a more formal kind of higher form of Greek than the more common tongue that Paul would use in writing these things and what he's known for. So the author could have been, again, a list of people like Luke or Apollos. I think those are probably the two most likely uh, possibilities, along with a variety other of Paul's companions. It's pretty clear that whoever wrote this was in Paul's ministry Circle, he would, have, he would have been around Paul quite a bit. Uh, at the very end of the day, though, we've got to agree with one of the early church fathers who said this. He said, Only God knows who wrote Hebrews. <laughs> and we just are okay with that moving forward. But what we do notice about the author is that this author loves Jesus. He's crazy about Jesus. He, he thinks Jesus is wonderful, majestic and better than anything else. And the theme of Hebrews, we could really sum up with that simple phrase, Jesus is better. And that's what I'm calling this series through Hebrews, is Jesus is better. See, the book centers itself on this theme, the the superiority of Christ over and above anything else that the world has to offer. Now, the, the author of this book goes to great lengths to break down the different ways that Christ is supreme, that Christ is better. And in doing so, you'll notice that he shows a deep love for people. He, he passionately pleads with believers to stand firm in their faith. And Hebrews contains warning passages. We'll go over them as we, as we hit them, as we go through the book. But it contains these warning passages, urging them to remain faithful despite temptations to fall back into old ways of believing and old ways of practicing. So that kind of leads us to the question, so if we don't know who wrote it, but we know some things about what that person was like, the question is, who was this written to? Because we want to know who the original audience is to help us understand the context and what was going through. Well, it's interesting that this piece of literature... Uh, which we refer to as a letter, right? We, it, it, we, we have it there in the English title, the letter to the Hebrews. So we, we, we refer to it as a letter, we study it like a letter, but it's structured more like a written theological sermon. Okay, it contains no greeting as a letter would, it just goes right into it, right? What I just read, there's no greeting, there's no, hey, how you doing, right? And there's no greeting, it just goes right into, right into the body of what it's writing, but it actually has a, um, it ends, it kind of it closes like a letter at the end of the book. So it's, it's kind of strange in that way, but it's written more, again, more like a sermon. Now, the original intended audience for this book, we, we believe, uh, were Jewish Christians. So these were folks who, were, who had been converted from the Jewish religion to Christianity. To teach them that because of the superior nature of Jesus Christ and his salvation that they had received, they should not give in to the temptation to return to their old ways, their old Jewish ways, or to sink into apostasy. And the author had, he had pastoral intentions in writing this. He was, he was, he was talking like a pastor. His, his intentions were pastoral in the way he wrote it. These Christians were facing persecution... For following Christ. And it, it would have been tempting, under persecution, under people coming against them and their beliefs, it would have been tempting to slide back into culturally accepted religious ways of their past, right? And this is the reason, as I was preparing for this, God put off light bulbs in my head, right? You know, why I think it's so important that we go through Hebrews right now we're in a place where we're on the cusp of possibly facing persecution for holding to the truth that jesus is better and serving him being worth our very lives we're on the cusp of facing different persecutions some of you have already faced some type and i know it's not persecution like they face in saudi arabia or somewhere like that most of us in this room we're not going to be beheaded for our faith okay uh, most of us maybe some of you i don't know um most of us aren't, but, but facing cultural pressure and persecution for holding to the truth that Jesus is better and serving him can make you start to doubt whether that's worth your life. And when hard persecution comes and you're called a bigot for standing for the truth of scripture, or when you're called hateful for proclaiming that there's only one way to God through Jesus alone... It might be tempting to just go with the flow of culture to relieve some of that pressure on you. But the author of Hebrews wants you to know that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the world loving you. Jesus is better than people thinking you're just a great person. Jesus is better than the world understanding you. And that's what he wants us to know. Now let's turn our attention to the first few verses of chapter 1 that I I just read a moment ago. First thing I want you to see there is is verse 1 and 2. God has spoken through Jesus. God has spoken through Jesus. After all, Jesus is the word made flesh, right? How profound is this statement? God spoke the fact that we read that God spoke to his people is simply incredible. It's incredible that the God, the same God who we read about in the Old Testament in in the creation account in Genesis, who spoke the world into existence, speaks, has spoken to his people. It should cause us to stand in awe. We have a God who did not put us here on earth, and then go away and just watch from a distance like Bette Midler used to sing. You remember that song, from a distance, God is watching us, from a distance, hogwash. We don't have a God who just dropped us in and then went away and watched to see what would happen. He gave us his word. He spoke to us. He gave the people prophets in the Old Testament But here he says, he's spoken to us by Jesus. Jesus is God's final word to us. He doesn't need to say anything else because it's already been said in Jesus. God has spoken through the Son more fully and authoritatively than through the prophets or the angels. Now remember, this is a Jewish Christian audience. They would have been well versed in the prophets and probably had a very high regard for them. But the Old Testament wasn't the whole story. God had spoken in fragments through the prophets. You could pick it up and you would get pieces of the picture, fragments of the picture. The things spoken in the Old Testament, though, found their finality and their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. So the question must be asked, right? If Jesus is how God has spoken to us, then why do we as humans continually look elsewhere? I was convicted of this myself recently. Why is it that we immediately look everywhere else to hear some enlightenment? To find out why something is. We, to, to, to even pray. like even we'll, we'll go to other people about things before we even pray. Before we go to the word where God has spoken. Why is it that we look elsewhere? I fear this. I fear that we have become consumers who don't want to give ourselves over fully to any belief system. Because we might come across one that we like better. Or fits our wants better. But we read in Hebrews, Jesus is better. Whatever that is, whatever the world has to offer, whatever thing you're chasing, Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets because God has spoken fully through him. He's better because he's the son of God. God had spoken in a grand finale through Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the highest thing we can aspire to, we're put here on earth to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we leave here through death, if we believe the gospel and repent of our sins, trusting in Jesus' death in our place for our sins and that he rose from the dead, then we get to spend eternity with Jesus. It's only heaven because Jesus is there. He's the end of all this. He's the best of the best and nothing else in life or death even comes close. Jesus is the most complete and fullest revelation of the Father, because he shares the divine nature of the Father as the second member of the Trinity. Doing business with the Son is the same as doing business with the Father. The only way to know the Father is through the Son. John 14:6 through7 says this, and I'm sorry, I don't think I have this for you on the screen. Jesus said to him, "I am the way and the truth." and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him to know jesus is to know the father because god has spoken his revelation fully and finally through jesus there's nothing there's nothing new to that there's nothing to add to that it's jesus it's the gospel secondly we see if you look at verse three jesus is the radiance of the glory of god and i really like that phrase the radiance of the glory of god now this idea of radiance Actually, harkens back to the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament—the Shekinah glory of God. You probably heard that phrase, maybe. This harkens back to that. This was a bright, shining glory that visibly demonstrated the majesty of God, and we we saw this in the Exodus and at the dedication of Solomon's Temple. You can look those up. But for us, the way we most fully see the glory of God is looking at Christ the way we most see the glory of God is Jesus. He's the exact expression of God's nature. If you want to see what God is like, look to Jesus Christ. He's the exact representation of God's nature to us. Now, for mere humans, we have sons, right? Some of us have sons. I have three, right? And our sons are not an exact representation of us. They may look like us, there are similarities, there's relation to be sure. However, our sons are not exact representations. But Jesus is the exact representation of the Father to us because they are of the same divine essence. He's a second member of the Trinity. He perfectly reflects the Father to us. Now, at this point, as we're reading along in verse three, there seems to be this kind of hard transition. Like it may clunk a little as you're reading it, where he shifts over to talking about how Jesus made purification for sins. And it kind of makes a shift that Jesus made purification for sins. Jesus is better because of his important role in purifying us of sin. In the Old Testament, purification was in relation to cleanness and uncleanness. There were physical and ceremonial contexts to each. I'm not going to go through all of that right now. But they point to the moral state of the worshiper and a spiritual relationship between God and his people. We all have sin and are quite unclean. We're dirty with the stain of sin. And the wages of that sin, the Bible tells us, is death. So there had to be some kind of purification made for sin. In fact, there had to be bloodshed. There had to be a sacrifice made. And Jesus enters the scene and fulfills all the requirements of the law and becomes, becomes a once-for-all-time sacrifice. God is, God is a gracious and a loving God. He's a holy and just God. And he could not let sin stand unpunished. He therefore provided a purification for our sins, a way for us to be washed clean. Jesus, the Son of God, greater than anyone ever to live, perfect, sinless, he came and gave his life as the only acceptable sacrifice, the only one that would work to wash away our uncleanness before God and to forgive our sins and impute to us his very righteousness, his very right standing before God put on those of us who trusted in him. See, the sacrificial system set up in the Old Testament was not sufficient as once for all. The people had to continually bring animals and continually sacrifice them. They had to continue with the rituals. The priests had to continue in their work. Even the Old Testament believers recognized that there had to be an internal change that accompanied the sacrifices to bring about true cleanness. David shows us this when he wrote in Psalm 51 verse 10. Created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. See the recognition that something internally had to change? Later, David writes that ceremonial sacrifice is not a replacement for true repentance. Later in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a Broken spirit and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, there was a greater purification needed. And that greater purification was made by the greatest one. It was made by Jesus. He made that purification. Now later on in the book of Hebrews, and we'll get there in several weeks or months, uh, the author will go deeper into the purification of sins... But this right here at the very beginning is kind of a tip of the hat to where he's going. Kind of like a foreshadowing of where he's going to be going. Finally, in verse 4, we read that Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, I don't know that any of us doubt that, right? I don't know that if that's something that anyone in this room necessarily wondered about. But just in case you did, know that Jesus is in every way superior to the angels to the angels. This is important even for us today. I was in a van on a mission trip driving through Budapest, Hungary. Okay? And the guy who was driving the van was concerned that we might not make it through Budapest at night the right way because we were on our way to Slovakia. And he began praying audibly to the archangel Michael. Now, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what in the world is happening right now? Because that's not okay. That's not right. You don't pray to an angel, you pray to God. Here's why. Jesus is better than the angels because he's the son of God. He's God in the flesh, our only way to the Father, the way by which we can communicate with the Father. Jesus is greater than the angels because he's not created as the angels are, rather He, Jesus, is the agent of all creation himself. Colossians 1, 15-16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is higher and better than the angels because they are created beings. He is not. He has always been and always will be. The dignity, role, and the authority of the Son, of Jesus, show that he is better than the angels because he has authority. He has authority for creating. He has authority to save. He has authority to command us to go out and tell other people the gospel. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, he tells us. And he is unchanging. He is better because he is unchanging. He does not Change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's where we come to the day-in, day-out rub. What do we do with this? What should we do based on this? You know, when, when you... It's really important that we learn these deep truths of Scripture because it's what our whole faith is based on. We have to learn doctrine like we need to someone, uh, someone, you know, I I was listening to someone preach this week, actually, and they said, if you if you come at me and you tell me, oh, I don't need all that doctrine. I don't need all that theology stuff. Just give me Jesus. He said, my next question to you is, who is Jesus? And as soon as you start to answer that, you're in doctrine and theology because you don't get there without it. Everyone's a theologian, friends. Everyone's a theologian. So there's a lot of theology in this book. And so, um, you know, some people come to church and they just want, man, I just want four ways to have a better marriage. I just want four ways to know how to raise my kids. I just want four. And, and sometimes the application, I mean, they're, for sure, we see applications sometimes in here of like, oh, I should be praying more. I need to do this. I need to do that. So when I come to a passage like this, I want to look at what, what should I do with that? Well, this Jesus who is better, who is superior, this whole book of Hebrews is based around that theme, Jesus is better, is the Jesus that those of us who are Christians serve. So look to the Old Testament prophets for genuine insights into God and as an arrow pointing to Jesus, the word of, it is the word of God And look to Jesus as God's final word to human beings. Look to Jesus for all the information God wants us to have. No more is coming. We're not getting other books of the Bible. This is God's revelation. We must use what Jesus has given. This should push us, should really help us stand firm in worshiping Jesus because he is righteous and kingly, It should push us to love and adore and serve him. It should build our affections for him, knowing that nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing is better than Jesus. We have a Savior who is far superior to anything or anyone. We should cling to him in changing times. I'm going to ask if the musicians would go ahead and come up while I finish up just kind of make your way up here, but God has spoken to us and that revelation that we have in Jesus Christ is sufficient to carry us through even the toughest and most challenging times and even death. And we need to not look for anything better or anything anywhere else because nothing compares because Jesus is better. So here's some questions for you to think about I want you to think about these because I think this is where we're going to turn into how do, I, how do I change the way I live based on this. Well, how do you describe Jesus to other Christians? When you talk about Jesus with other Christians, how do you describe him? How do you talk about him? Do you speak of him in a way of he's just another thing or that he's the greatest thing, the greatest one? How do you describe Jesus to unbelievers? Is he just another option in a list of religious options out there? Is he just another crutch to make it through the day? Do do they see him like that because of the way you communicate about Jesus to them? How do you describe Jesus to unbelievers? How do you show Jesus that you believe he's the son of God, savior, king, redeemer, and superior to all created beings? In your daily life, your daily life, how do you show Jesus that you believe that? What does your time in the word look like? What does your time with your family look like? See, what I want you to do is think through specific acts of obedience that you will take to demonstrate your awe and your wonder at the majesty of who Jesus is. When I forget to read my Bible in the morning and pray before I get out the door on a busy day, am I showing Jesus that I believe he's more important than anything else? Now, don't hear that as a guilt trip. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on you. I'm sharing about me, okay? Um, I don't want it to be about guilt tripping anybody. I want it to be about us looking at Jesus, seeing clearly in the scriptures who Jesus is, and adjusting our lives accordingly. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. He's the only one that's worth it. There's, There's all kinds of things, all kinds of things in this life that we can chase. Fame, respect, honor, jobs, money, relationships, sex. There's all kinds of stuff we can chase. But none of it compares. None of it compares. None of it cleanses us from our sin. Every other religious leader in the world's dead in a grave, but as we celebrated last Sunday, our God is alive. And so how is your life going to change as a response to to this phenomenal truth. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then we're going to sing one final song together. And uh, I invite you to sing and worship God with us. You may need to just pray. You may need to sit and let the words wash over you. I invite you just to pray. Sing, as you sing, as you, tell God how great he is. Tell Jesus how great he is. He knows. But still, we're supposed to tell him, right? We're supposed to tell him how great he is. How great we, worship is worth-ship. It's ascribing worth to him. What is he worth to us? And the answer in Hebrews is everything. Everything. Let me pray. Jesus I thank you for your word. Thank you that we have God God that we have your final revelation in Jesus. Help us strip off all the stuff that is hindering us that's holding us back and help us run fully towards you. Help us to live our lives built on this truth that you are better. Because you're the only one who saved us. The only one who could. You're the only one who saves. You're the only one who makes it possible for us to live an obedient life. Help us to count everything else as loss. And to focus our entire lives on knowing you, Jesus. I pray our worship would be sweet to your ear in Jesus' name.